Hello, Northwest. Uh, my name is Scott Thacker. Most of you know me from the transition over the past few months and being up in front of you talking about databases and spreadsheets and nonprofit filings. I'd hope to be with you in person this morning and to talk about something more interesting, Ephesians 3. Uh, but unfortunately, the events over the last week have changed that. And so we're coming to you uh, virtual on video from my backyard. Um, I got to tell you, it's a little bit awkward. My studio audience right now consists of Tom, Bradley, and my wife. And so uh, I hope this doesn't get too weird for you or weird for me. Um, we're going to power through, and hopefully uh, this is going to work for us for the next few weeks if we need to do that. Before we get started today, I wanted to read to you just a short prayer that I read this week, and I thought it was appropriate given uh, the world that we're all trying to navigate right now. Uh, so let me read this to you. It says this, it says, God of the present moment, God who is in Jesus, stills the storm and soothes the frantic heart. Bring hope and courage to us all as we wait in uncertainty. Bring hope that you will make us the equal of whatever lies ahead and bring courage to endure what we cannot avoid. For your will is health and wholeness, you are God and we need you. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you today, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. If you've missed church the past few weeks, or maybe you're a virtual visitor today, we have been in the book of Ephesians. We're working our way through that over six weeks, and so far we've covered two chapters. And I'm going to be diving into chapter three today. But before I do that, I wanted to kind of reset everybody on the chapter, the book itself of Ephesians, the context so you know where chapter three fits into that. If you looked at the book of Ephesians, it's actually one long letter. It's a letter written by Paul, believed to have been written around 62 A.D., uh, from his imprisonment in Rome. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And the thing to remember about the church in Ephesus is Paul uh, knows these people. They're his friends. This is not writing to strangers. Paul actually visited Ephesus and lived there for three years on his third missionary journey around 58 AD. So this is a letter back to people he knows, back to friends that he has communication with. And he's writing them to tell them a few things. He's writing to remind them of the gospel story and then also to encourage them how to live. And that's really how the book is laid out. If you looked at the whole book, we uh, consider it one letter, but the Bible breaks it into three chapters. Those first three chapters are really the gospel story. It's the story of Christ and his grace and how he's brought together a family under the one unity of the Messiah. And secondly, the chapters four, or, uh, book chapters four through six are really focused on our story. It's how we live. And what you're going to see as we go into chapter 4 next week is that those are joined by the word therefore. Paul says, hey, here's the gospel story, guys, chapters 1 through 3. three. I want you to remember this. And then he says, therefore, live this way, how you live personally with your families and with your community. And that's what we'll be talking about the next few weeks. So two sections, 1 through 3, the gospel story, 4 through 6, our story. And we find ourselves in chapter 3 today, which is the last part of the first section. Tom talked about chapters one and two over the last two weeks, really talking about the grace of Christ and how that has brought us into that united family. He talked about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we exhibit that. And what we're going to do today is dive more into both of those topics. Chapter three is really just a building of those first two chapters. And so that's where we're going to go today. Okay, before we jump into chapter three, I want to just um, kind of frame this for you. I've been thinking a lot over the past few weeks what I want you guys to take away from today. And really, more than anything, I want you to be encouraged. I think we all kind of need that right now. 
And I want you to be encouraged about three things. First, God's grace. Second, God's love. And third, God's power. And those are three things that we're going to talk about today as we work our way through chapter three. And if you look at chapter three, it's really much like the book, uh, the overall book of Ephesians. It's broken into two sections. The first section is verses one through 13, where Paul is going to talk about the mystery of Christ. And then the second part, verses 14 through 21, is really just a prayer uh, for, from Paul to the Ephesians, just encouraging them about God's love and God's power. And we're going to dive into that as we get into the latter part of today. So first, the first section uh, is uh, about the mystery. And I'm going to read to you um, the first six verses of chapter 3. Um, by the way, if uh, I discovered something pretty cool over the last few weeks, and that is that Johnny Cash recorded the entire New Testament before he died. And so he, he took 19 hours and he's recorded the entire, every chapter of the, of the New Testament. You can find it online uh, and you can also get it free on YouTube. And so um, I can't think of many other people I'd like to listen, read scripture than Johnny Cash, maybe James Earl Jones, but Johnny Cash is certainly up there. But today you get me uh, and so uh, it's not gonna be as good. But let me read this to you, uh, starting in verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit." To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in these first six verses, Paul talks about the mystery that was revealed to him through Revelation. He's saying that this isn't something that he read in the Old Testament. It's not something that was passed down from him, for other men to him. He's saying that this is something that the Holy Spirit has taught him. And he's saying that this is new information. He's saying that even wise men of the Old Testament, guys like Moses and Abraham and David, or even prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, who could see beyond their day, really didn't understand this, that this is something that God has held on to until this moment in time. And the mystery is simply this, that the Gentiles are co-heirs with the Jews and the promises of Jesus. And this mystery is important. Think of about it like in our time, uh, it's, it's similar to like Albert Einstein discovering the theory of relativity. Up until that time, we operated under one way. And then Albert Einstein discovered this theory and it changed the course of history. It was hidden in nature until at that point in time, whether it was revealed by God or not, Albert Einstein understood it. And it changed the way how we lived and how we thought about things. And Paul is saying the same thing for this mystery. The fact that the Jews and the Gentiles are equal under God and that they inherit the same promises is gonna change how we live. So why is this a big deal? I think to understand why this is such a big deal, we have to understand history leading up to this. And if we looked at the Old Testament and tried to summarize that, you would say that it's really God's relationship with man, lived out primarily through his relationship with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And this whole relationship over time, over hundreds of years, is this kind of up and down relationship, obedience and failure, blessings and then hardship. And it's God and man trying to work that out. And man always trying, to get to God through priesthood, through the tabernacle, through sacrifice. And it's a story of covenants also, a covenants with Moses and Abraham and David and Noah. 
And really the Abrahamic covenant, which you guys are all familiar with, when he says to Abraham, God says, I will make you the father of many nations. That's the foundation of the Jewish belief, that they are the promised people, that they alone are going to get the blessings. And that's the story of the Old Testament. That's the history leading up to this point. And then something changed. And what changed was Jesus. Jesus was born, Jesus died, and Jesus was resurrected. And Jesus brought in a new covenant, a covenant of grace, a grace covenant that said, my relationship, God's relationship, is no longer with a nation. It's with an individual. And it's applicable to all people. And that all people receive equal blessing. An example I can give you of that is my sister and I. We are the only two children of my parents. And in their will, when they pass away, uh, my sister and I inherit things equally. Uh, we have the same blessing. And she doesn't get more than I do, and I don't get more than she does. And honestly, we don't receive that blessing because of anything we've done. We receive that blessing because we are a son and a daughter of my parents. And in the same way, that's really what the gospel message is about. We're going to inherit the blessings of God. And it has nothing to do with what we've done. It has everything to do with what, uh, who we belong to. It's been said that the only contribution that we make to our salvation is our sin. For salvation is entirely the work of God, and that is grace. Paul is stressing this message of grace, and he's saying it's critically important at this time in the first century. Uh, if we looked at Galatians 3, it says this in verses 28 and 29. Paul says, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham's belongs, Abraham belongs to you. He's saying the same thing in Galatians. He's saying, guys, Christ has set us free. There is no more differentiation. There are no more boundary lines. And that God's grace expressed through Jesus is a unification of all people. And I think that's what he believes, Paul believes, makes us so beautiful, is that we are not exclusive. God welcomes us all into sharing his blessing. And the truth is that Paul's message in Ephesians 2,000 years ago is just as applicable to us today. And in my opinion, our Big C Church, guys, is not doing a good job of living out this message of grace. We still like to draw boundary lines. We still like to show exclusivity. We don't exhibit unity. I think if Paul was writing to us today, he might actually use some of the same words. He might say male or female, but he might also add things like rich or poor, black and white, Republican or Democrat, or even gay or straight. And I know that may be uneasy for some of us, but that's the truth. God's grace is available to all of us. It is not exclusive. We are all able to be redeemed by the King. You know, I was thinking about our church this past week, Northwest Community Church. And my encouragement to you today and encouragement to our church is that we really do pursue a spirit of grace and unity. Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, who leads a big church in Atlanta, says this, the church is most appealing when the message of grace is most apparent. I also want us to remember what community means. We named our church Northwest Community Church. 
And if you look back at community and the Latin and you go to the very root of it, it's actually a couple words. And those few words align to two main concepts. The first one is around unity, a togetherness, fellowship. And the other part is around fortification, strength, and defense. A community is a common group of people that are in fellowship, that are united, and because of that, they are stronger. And what if that was what our church was known for? I think that's what Paul actually wanted for the Ephesians. I think that's what he was saying to them when he wrote towards the end of this section in verse 10. He says, to the church, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He's saying that the church is, needs to live in a way that makes God's promises known. And when we do that, he says that it will impact the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What he's talking about with rulers and authorities is angels and demons. He's saying that the way we live, the way that the church lives out God's message, can be a stronghold against evil. And I think that's pretty powerful. And I hope that our church can be that in our community. All right, so I told you at the beginning we were going to talk about three things, uh, grace, love, and power. Uh, we're going to jump into talking about love, and then we'll finish today talking about power. Uh, to talk about love, we're going to get into the second part of Ephesians of chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 14 through 21. Let me read that. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I really love this passage. It's a very personal passage to me, which I'll explain to you in a few minutes. Um, the middle of this prayer focuses on Christ's love for us, and it says this. Let me just read it again real quickly. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, this, this cadence of this verse is a bit odd, and there's speculation as to what it's really written about when he's describing the breadth and length and height and depth. Um, some say the cross, some say it's the mystery, but most folks would say it's God's love. And I would agree. Um, and as I've pondered this over the last few weeks, um, I have a hard time with it. I have a hard time doing what Paul says, that I would comprehend God's love in terms of length, breadth, height, and depth. Because when I think about it in dimensionality, I immediately start thinking about math. I start thinking about how you frame that out. And it becomes infinite very quickly and very hard for me to get my head around. And so after reading it a number of times, I started to think about it a little bit differently. And I started to think about Paul's description not so much in terms of quantitative, but more on qualitative. 
and thinking it more, more about in terms of adjectives and descriptions, not so much in measurements. And when I think about it that way, it's a lot easier for me to understand. So I can think about the breadth of God, of his love being wide, being very big, big enough to cover all nations, all tongues, as well as being able to reach out to me wherever I am. I think about length in terms of time, not terms of measurement, that his love is long lasting, that he loved me before I was born, that he'll love me my entire life and he'll love me all the way through eternity. I think about height, how he puts us up, how he elevates us to heavenly places through his love and that we are going to be with him in a kingdom that is perfect in love for eternity. And I think about depth, that he would go to the bottom of all of my sins to redeem me and that he reaches down, that he suffered the hardest things on the cross to be our savior. That's how I think about these descriptions. And I think it's right. I, I don't know for certain that's Paul, what Paul meant, but it makes sense. And when I think about scripture and when I think about the gospel story, I see these descriptions throughout it. One of my favorite passages of scripture is the prodigal son, the story that Jesus tells about a father and his two sons, one who has left and one who has stayed. And when you look at that story, you see the same things. You see love exhibited in the way Paul is talking about. Think about it. The father's love has breath. His son has gone far out to a far country, far away from where the father lives. And yet the father's love extends out to him. The father's love is long. The son has been gone for a period of years. And yet the father says, it doesn't matter. I have loved him from when he was a child. I love him till now. The, lover's loves, the father's love is high. When his son comes home, he elevates him to high places. He puts him on a pedestal. He puts a robe on him. He celebrates him and says, my son was lost and now he is found. Let us honor him. And his love is deep. His son has gone against everything that his father held true. He has squandered his inheritance. He has committed sins against God and man. And yet the father loves him deeply. Despite all of that. That, my friends, is amazing love. And I think we can all be encouraged by that. The last thing I want to encourage you with today is God's power. Uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is a very personal passage to me. It's one of those passages that in life where you remember distinctly the events uh, that were going on when you heard it. When I heard this verse or this passage, it was in college. I had uh, just started experiencing the symptoms of what would ultimately be diagnosed as multiple sclerosis. It was a very anxious time for me, um, a very uncertain time with not knowing what my future looked like. Um, and honestly, it sent me into a little bit of depression, much beyond anxiety. At that time, I had a friend come to me and she said, Scott, um, I, I believe that God is telling me to share a passage with you. And she read me Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And I gotta tell you, I'm a little bit skeptical when somebody comes to me and says, God is telling them something for me. Uh, but it certainly was encouraging. I listened. I thanked her, and I went home. Uh, the next day, things changed, and I started to appreciate this verse even more. 
Um, I walked into the student union building at Baylor. I opened up my P.O. box and there was a letter inside and it was from a man named David McKechnie. David was a longtime friend of our family. Uh, he has known me since I was a baby. And he was the pastor at the time at a church in Houston, uh, Grace Presbyterian Church. My family and I had been at his Christmas Eve service just two days before I started getting sick. And he had been sending me letters over the past few weeks knowing what I was going through. I have his letters. I keep them in my safe at home. And uh, I wanted to read this one to you that I received that day. It's, it's short, but I think it's very impactful. It says, Dear Scott, it's been a month since I wrote you following your diagnosis. I do hope that you are continuing to find strength for each new day. The attitude you bring to each new challenge is extremely important. I believe the attitude, our attitude can be colored by your sense of the presence of God at work in your life. The promised power of the Holy Spirit is real. You can count on that. You have access to a power that is beyond human comprehension. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is a marvelous reassurance of that. The issue for you and me is not our ability, Scott, but rather our availability. We are conduits for the power of God. Choose boldly, my friend. I dare to believe that God will help you love even in the midst of your ambiguities and difficulties. May God grant you continued courage and strength as you reach to the future. Warmly, David McKechnie. Needless to say, after I read this letter, I started to think differently about how God uses other people to encourage us. David's encouragement in this letter is the same one that Paul's offering to the people of Ephesus. He's saying that the power of the Holy Spirit is real and it's available to us. Going back to that passage, in verse 16 it says, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. And verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So what does this mean, to have the power of the Holy Spirit? What is Paul saying? Is he saying that the Holy Spirit's going to allow me to lift a car if I want to lift a car, or solve math problems I could never think I could solve, or predict the future? Maybe, but I, I don't think that's what he's trying to get at. I think what Paul is getting at is that the Holy Spirit is going to empower us to do things beyond what we can imagine and the things that the Holy Spirit is about. So what is the Holy Spirit about? If we go back to Galatians, there's a big connection between these two books. Paul says in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The Holy Spirit is about those fruit. And I think that's where the Holy Spirit enables us to do things beyond what we can imagine. What would that look like? He could turn our hate into love. He could turn our despair into joy. He can take our fear and anxiety and turn it into peace. He can take impatience and turn it into forbearance. He can turn our cruelty into kindness, our wickedness into goodness, our infidelity into faithfulness, our anger into gentleness, and our addictions into self-control. I think this is where the Holy Spirit works. And as believers, we have access to this. I know for myself, I fail constantly at this. I want to do this myself. I, we all have this spirit of self-confidence, of independence. 
But the truth is, is what David McKechnie said in his letter. It's not about our abilities, guys. It's about our availability, about us allowing the Holy Spirit to have power in our lives and for us allowing the Holy Spirit to work in ways that we never could understand or believe. So we made it. We're at the end. It was certainly awkward for me, hopefully not too awkward for you. Um, and I do know that there's so much more we could have talked about this week. But I hope that if you're listening to this, if you've taken the time to watch us this morning, you leave with just three things that you remember this week. And if you just remember these three things, that's absolutely fine by me. Let's do this. Live believing, one, that God's grace is for all of us. Live believing that God's love is broad and long and high and deep. And let's live believing that we have access to a power that is beyond what we think we are capable of. And I think if we can do that in the midst of all that's going on, we can have a good week. And that's what I want you guys to do. We'll see you soon.